Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, lead and guide us and help us, O Lord, to know Your Word, to be refreshed by Your Word, to be transformed by Your Word. Make Your promises pour down upon us to enable us, Lord, to respond and to follow, to seek and to search. And help us, O Lord, to continually know the power of Your Spirit at work in us, that we would know the blessings of Your comfort and Your peace, peace that You have given to us because of what Jesus has done for us already. And we ask this all through Christ our Lord. Amen. As a child, I loved getting gifts. I think we all love getting gifts. I loved getting random things when we'd go to the store. In fact, I got so used to getting little random gifts and little things anytime we went to the store that it became a bit of an expectation. There was a bit of an assumption on my part that if we went out grocery shopping or we went out doing regular shopping of whatever kind at the store, I would get something. That there would be something there that I could pick up and that my mom or dad would say, sure, bring it home with us, we'll get it. I got to assume too often that that would happen and it created problems for me. I became a bit of a spoiled brat in that time. I would get upset if there wasn't something given to me that I thought I deserved. It was a deep expectation, a deep desire to receive these little gifts here and there. But it was a constant trickle of little gifts to where I never appreciated what I had been given. It was just one more thing to be received and then forgotten about without any appreciation for the joy that it brought to my parents to offer me these little things. But like I said, I got to want and desire those more than the time I was given with my parents. I wanted the little gifts, but I wasn't recognizing what those gifts meant. I wasn't receiving them as they were being given properly. I wasn't finding joy in those gifts. I wanted the gift just for the sake of wanting something. It wasn't something I appreciated, something that I wanted and desired. And so the gift lost its giftness to me. And often, in many ways, our salvation can be like that because we are given this greatest of all gifts. Everything has been prepared. Everything has been given for us. And we, the called, are to receive. But how do we receive it? Are we receiving it with joy? Are we receiving it with a desire to then go out and live the life that God has given to us? Or are we remaining utterly silent in the presence of those gifts? Indifferent to those gifts? Avoiding the gifts? Not really appreciating the gifts? Our passages today all revolve around great feasting. Here we just heard the parable of the wedding feast. This magnificent feast that the king puts on for his son in celebration of his wedding. 
We hear of the great feast upon the mountain. Upon the mountain of God there in Isaiah 25. We hear in Psalm 23 that oh so dear psalm for us. Of the Lord preparing a table in the presence of our enemies. In the presence of those who trouble us. In the presence of those who would attack us. We're hearing a feast being prepared for us. These are not feasts that we are creating. These are not feasts that we are causing to happen. But they are a feast being given. A feast being offered out. A feast that we have been invited into. That we are not a part of naturally. But a feast nonetheless to which we are invited. And in light of that, there is that call of reception. There is that call of receiving. There is that call of rejoicing. As Paul says in Philippians 4, Rejoice again, I say rejoice. We have been called to rejoice and to praise our Lord, to respond to these great and glorious gifts that He has given to us. The preparations that He has made from times of old to create a path for us to come to Him. And so because all is prepared and a gift, the called must beware of being silent when God's grace comes to them. All is given. All is prepared. And so the called must beware of being silent before the Lord when His grace falls upon us. And so, what do I mean by all is prepared? Here in both of these main stories that we heard, these narratives from Matthew 22 and Isaiah 25, we hear of a great feast. In Matthew 22, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And he sent others, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. See, this is a wedding feast that is beyond all other wedding feasts. It is the feast celebrating the marriage of the king's son, the prince, to his bride. And thus it will be a glorious and grand feast given in his honor. Inviting all the people around. Inviting those who have been called to the feast. The servants go out and they call the people. But the people won't come. All is prepared. The feast is made. The oxen have been slaughtered. The fat calves have been cooked up, roasted, and put out to be partaken of and eaten. And so the servants go out and they call and invite And cry out, the feast is ready. Come and receive. Come and celebrate the king and his son. Come and celebrate the marriage feast of the son and his bride. But they paid no attention. They went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. I don't know about this situation here. The king has some unruly people that follow after him. They are rejecting his summons. They were rejecting His graciousness. They were rejecting the joy that He has in His Son and His bride. And they ignore Him. They don't just go out to do their own things, but some of them even take those servants and 
beat them and reject them. A story that we hear over and over in our passages, in these parables these last few weeks. The servants being rejected and being murdered. Though all is prepared for them, the people reject it. And it's easy, of course, with hindsight to realize this is something about the Jews, is it not? For what happens just a few decades later, Jerusalem itself is burned to the ground. For it says the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now Jerusalem is utterly destroyed because of their rejection of the Messiah, because of their rejection of following the Lord and hearing His Word and understanding His covenant and His promises given. But I think we have to see it as much bigger than that. It's not merely about that. That is included. But this parable, the wedding feast, is about all of salvation history. Because it's about the preparations and the gifts of God given to the people. And the calling of all kinds of people to Himself. This parable isn't about one single moment in history, but it's about the entirety of salvation history, the entirety of redemptive history of God's working of His calling people to Himself over and over and over to come to the wedding feast, to come to the salvation prepared for them. So it's not merely about a one-time historical event that Jesus is pointing to, but the entirety of salvation history. And I think we can appreciate that even more when we look at Isaiah 25. When we hear those first few verses of Isaiah crying out that I will exalt you, O God. I will praise you for you have done wonderful things. You have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin, the foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. These are the enemies of God that Yahweh Himself has defeated on behalf of His people. The foreigner's palace, the Gentiles who would rage against the people of God. Yahweh has laid waste to those kingdoms. He has put them down. He has rejected them and has lifted up and brought salvation to His people. And so they rejoice. But it's not just them who rejoice. As Jesus points out, as He points out in His parable, He tells us that after that city is destroyed, Those people He originally invited who have rejected Him, who have killed His servants, who have mocked Him and made fun of the feast that He has made and prepared. He sends His servants, His other servants back out and says, the wedding feast is ready. Go therefore, invite all that you come across. Go to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find, whether good or bad. Gather all wherever they may be found so that the wedding hall may be filled with guests. You see, he had already prepared everything. Everything was ready. But those who were originally invited rejected it. And so the king rejects them. For when the time came, they refused. And so what does the king do? He goes and sends his servants out to gather any and all that they can find, to go out to the main roads, to go out to the byways and the highways, and to call forth saying the king has prepared a feast. The king has prepared the wedding feast for his son. Come and rejoice. Come and partake. Come and enjoy all that is prepared. And so all are called. All are called to respond to this great and glorious wedding feast because the Lord, the king, desires for his hall to be filled. 
He desires for it to be filled with people rejoicing at the glories of the Son and His bride. That is the picture that Jesus is painting here for us today, that all are called because all is prepared. There is nothing for those who are called to do but to receive. And likewise, that calling of many to Himself happens even in Isaiah 25. When the strong peoples and the ruthless nations see what God has done to the enemies of His people, they glorify God. They turn to Him. The ruthless nations will fear Yahweh. They will turn from their gods and turn to the one true God because they see what He has done, that He has been a stronghold for the poor, a stronghold to the needy, a shelter from the storm. That He subdues all those who resist Him. And it goes on to say in verse 6 that on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and aged wine well refined. That all get called into this great and glorious wedding feast because it brings pleasure to the Lord to offer this feast to all who will receive it. To offer it to all who will respond. To offer it to any who will come to Him as He cries out with His promises and with His great work that He has accomplished. For all is prepared, and thus all are called to receive. And so the many come. The all come that have been called. And so there is much rejoicing. And so the king then goes out to look at his guests, Jesus says. And he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. There was a man there who was not dressed appropriately for this wedding feast. And he said, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. You see, all are called into the wedding feast. All are called to respond and to receive from the king his gifts. Because all is gift. He has given all of this to his people. And here for many of us, we don't understand what it was about this man lacking a wedding garment. There have been some ideas over the years that this wedding garment was something that the king would give out, that at a great royal wedding, all those invited, that the king would go so far as to give the gifts of special wedding garments to be worn so that all would look the way that he desired for them to look. That all would have a gift from the king in honor and celebration of a wedding, of a royal wedding of his son to be married. We don't know if that's absolutely true in this particular culture. It was true in some times in some places, but we don't know if it's specifically true there in those times of the early first century. But it's an intriguing idea. But nonetheless, still, the point being made is that there was something special to be worn and that this one man showed up at the wedding feast not wearing it, refusing the gifts that had been given to him to receive them the way that they were to be received. And he was speechless. I think it's so important for us to remember that all is a gift here. That there is something being offered to this man. As the king says, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He is expecting a response from this man. He's expecting this man to say something in return. To enter into relation with the king. But he was speechless. One commentator, Robert Capon, said, if the man had just said one thing to the king, anything, if he had just responded to the king's question, 
it would have changed the entire outcome of this parable. If this man had entered into relationship with the king by simply saying, I'm sorry, or forgive me, O king, or this is all that I had and I didn't know that there were more gifts to be given. Anything would have changed the king's disposition because it was all a gift. This feast and all there is a gift to be received and be rejoiced in and to be enjoyed. But for some reason, this man came in and didn't accept the gift of a wedding garment. He didn't accept the gift of change. He didn't accept the gifts that the king was giving out in the midst of this wedding feast. He simply said, my clothes are good enough. How I am is all that needs to be. I can enter into this feast without changing in any way. But yet he is still confronted by the king. The king confronts him by asking him about his wedding garment, why he doesn't have one. And he is speechless instead of standing in awe of the king and saying, I'm sorry. Forgive me, O king. Forgive me for my wrongdoing before you and dishonoring this wedding feast, dishonoring your son by assuming that there was no gift for me. Instead, he rejects the king outright by not speaking to the king, by remaining speechless, in a sense hardening himself in his own sensibilities, hardening himself in his own clothing, refusing to interact with the king. And so the king throws him out. He casts him out of the wedding feast. And this is why I say this is all about salvation history. For we are all partaking in a wedding feast now. Even now, before the end and the consummation of all things, there is a great and glorious wedding feast that has been poured out for us that we are receiving the foretaste of the greatest feast of all time every week that we gather for communion. We are getting a foretaste of the kingdom. We are getting a foretaste of that wedding feast, of partaking of Jesus Himself, of receiving the sacrament of His body and blood. This foretaste is renewing us and changing us and applying this new wedding garment to us. That just as in baptism, Paul says later in Galatians that all who have been baptized have put on Christ. They have been clothed with Christ. And the picture of this wedding garment is a change in who this man is. But he is refusing that change and he remains speechless. And so it's a picture of salvation history. It's not a picture of final judgment per se. This confrontation between the man and the king. But it is a moment by moment picture of our lives before the king. That as we abandon Christ in our daily lives, He says, where is your wedding garment? And we are given that opportunity to not be speechless, but to cry out and enter back into relation with the Father to re-receive that baptismal gift of righteousness, that baptismal gift of being clothed with Christ Himself, and to come and partake of Christ and to be filled with Him. That we don't only wear Him outside of ourselves, but we partake of Him and take Him into us. That He changes us from the inside out as well. And in all of that, bearing that wedding garment changes everything because it is the ultimate gift for us. For it brings us into that final feast. It brings us into that time of rejoicing, that time of celebration, that time of seeing the fullness of God's grace be manifest upon this earth. All is a gift. And the called must be ready to respond to God's grace. The called must be ready to respond to the glorious feast that is presented to us. For in that feast, it is revealed, Isaiah says, 
In verse 7 of chapter 25, that the Lord will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. Death itself, in the midst of this feast, when this feast comes down, death itself will be undone. For death is a covering that is cast over all peoples. Death is a covering that is a veil spread over all. But death will be swallowed up by the Lord because His life comes down in this feast. His life comes to us through our feasting and partaking of Jesus Christ Himself. For the Lord gave life. The Father gave life to be in the Son. And the Son now gives that life to all who come to Him. And we see that life manifested in the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ Himself. That foretaste of the great and final resurrection. That will come in conjunction with this great and glorious feast. That death is done away with that death that hides our eyes, that death that causes us to bear shame for our sins, that death that is a continual reminder that we are sinners in need of salvation, in need of rescuing. On that mountain, death is swallowed up forever. It is taken away from us. And not only that, the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of His people will be taken away. The reproach the shame, the sinfulness of His people will be wiped away just as those tears are wiped away and salvation will be poured out upon all. Salvation will be finally and fully and totally revealed to all the world as all things are renewed and the swallowing up of death and the outpouring of forgiveness and the final consummation of that forgiveness being applied to His people and then being fully purged from all those reproaches, from all the sin and the shame that is upon us as we consider death that is swallowed up. The sin and the shame is purged from us and we are fully and completely transformed so much that we use a new term, not just transformed, but we are glorified. For the new life of God fully dwells in us and is known outwardly, not just hidden within, but is outwardly seen by all and we see all who have received it. We see the great and glorious gift of the destruction of death itself, of the wiping away of tears and and shame and reproach and sin as we then partake and rejoice in the salvation that is given as we respond in the ultimate sense of praising God for the work He has done for us. For we come to one who has called us because that one who has called us has prepared all good things. He has prepared the entirety of salvation and He does that in Jesus Christ for us. Salvation is prepared alone by Jesus. Through His entering into this world in the incarnation, the Son of God, the eternal Son made man, taking on flesh that He could die. For without that human flesh, the Son of God could not die, for He is eternal God. But in the mystery of the incarnation, the Son of God can now die for the sins of all people. That He can die for the sins of the world and through that death He is raised back to new life that He then pours out upon us as we come to Him. As we confess and see in that confrontation with grace, in that confrontation to ask, where is your wedding garment? We are given the opportunity to respond with confession and repentance and turning to the Lord to receive that wedding garment now that is given in baptism. 
that continually is renewed upon us day in and day out as we turn to the Lord, as we turn to Him in prayer, as we turn to Him for dependence, as we turn to Him to receive that which He has given over and over and over again. And that we come week by week to have that garment renewed, to have it placed upon us in a new way as we receive now the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ, that foretaste of that great wedding feast when death is undone, when death is finally wiped away and purged from this creation, then we will know the fullness and the depths and the heights and the joys of the salvation that God has gotten for us, that God has prepared in Jesus Christ for all those who turn to Him and have faith and believe. And it will be said on that day, Isaiah goes on to say, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. And here is the final conclusion to all of this. On that day at the wedding feast, we'll say this is the God that we waited for. That we walked through salvation history looking for the fulfillment of His promises in their completion. And that is where we are now, waiting upon the Lord. That we are called to wait upon Him and to look for that salvation that He might save us ultimately. And so we wait. For this is the Lord that we see. This is the Lord that we hear of. This is the Lord who has promised that all is prepared, that all is a gift, and that all are called to Himself now. And so let us respond to that grace. May we respond to that grace of preparation and gift and rejoice in the joy of the King who rejoices to make us His bride, who has rejoiced to make the church the bride of His Son. For we will be united fully and completely to Christ as the church in the end, and we will know the fullness of life and salvation through that one God, that one King, and the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.